Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the For the Ladies podcast. Before we get into our interview with Rachel Maybe, we have some breaking news. Five Iron Golf has graciously given us teams at each of their league nights. Yes, you heard that right. Free golf if you join Team FTL. We don't care about skill level at all. It's all about showing up and having a good time. I had a few women reach out and say like, hey, I've never played a full round of golf before. Or I, you know, this might be my first time like playing 18 or they, people love to say, I'm not very good. It doesn't matter at all. We just want you to show up, meet some new people, have a good time, have some beverages. It's going to be great. So if you're interested and live in New York City, Chicago, Philly, or Baltimore, email me at abby at fortheladies.net for more information. That's A-B-B-Y at fortheladies.net for more info. So we'll be sending you some FTL swag so you can represent each week. Okay, now to the latest in women's golf. This week was the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. And Sayon Kim dominated. She won by five shots for her first major victory. Until this point, she was the winningest player without a major on the LPGA. That is a mouthful. So she had won the most LPGA events without a major. Um, so this was huge for her career and confidence. Sayon Kim also beat seven-time major champion Inby Park, who was just three shots back to start the day. So she clearly just like had her eye on the ball and was ready to win. She must feel awesome. And I have to add that I met her when I was working a commercial shoot in 2017, and she was just so nice. So I'm, I was really excited to see that. If you listen to my conversation with Beth Ann Nichols last week, this is another big win for a South Korean player, and I'm sure she will get that rock star treatment that female golfers in the country receive, especially when they win on the biggest of stages. Now on to today's conversation. I caught up with Rachel Maybe, who is a program specialist for PGA Works, which is a strategic initiative by the PGA of America designed to diversify the golf industry's workforce. She has a great story, and I just love getting to know her, so I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast and Ladies of Golf. Today we have Rachel Melendez, maybe, and uh, we'll just get right into it, Rachel. Thanks for being Sounds here. Good. Sounds good. All right, good. so we have our quick nine, and uh, we'll just get started. What is a snack you have to have when you're playing golf? Um, it's actually, I feel like a child when I say this, um, but it's the peanut butter cookies, like the peanut butter crackers. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is about them. They just always satisfy my hunger and I just, peanut butter and everything just is, is so, is so tasty. <laughs> I love that. What is part of your daily routine that you can't go without? Um, playing with my three border collies. <laughs> oh my gosh, how fun. Yeah. I have three very rambunctious, super wonderful border collies, but I have to get in some fur baby time. Oh my gosh, so much fun. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite social media channel? Um, it is Instagram, but I have to admit that I have become slightly addicted to TikTok just because it's yeah. such a quick, <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I am going to admit it. I've just become slightly addicted to TikTok as well. Yeah. I go down like a little bit of a black hole though. Yes. Like I can just sit there and scroll. Before you know it is an hour has passed and you've just been scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So I know. It's a little scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the first golf course you played? Um, it actually was where I was born in Puerto Rico, um, mm -hmm. at Dorado beach. Um, and very, very fortunate for that to be my first golf course I played at, sure. but 
it's probably one of my fondest memories, definitely having that as my, my quote unquote home course when I was younger. Yeah. What was the last book you read? Um, so I have like a chapter left, so I'm going to claim this as my last yes. book. Um, it was, it's called The Couple Next Door. Okay. Oh, okay. I love like these crime dramas. I don't know if that, hopefully it doesn't say something about me, <laughs> but <laughs> I love crime shows or like mafia movies. And this is kind of right up my alley. It's kind of like a, a, a fiction kind of crime, crime book. Nice. Nice. And what was the last podcast you listened to? So, <laughs> crime junkie, actually. Oh yeah, I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, that was it. Before that, it was Dirty John. Um, yeah, kind of the podcast hiatus, but Crime Junkie has become a little bit of an addiction as well. Yeah, I I listen to all of them. It's kind of scary. Um, and and my fiance Brendan will walk in and he'll be like, "Why are you listening to this?" Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I know. Which actually, I forgot to uh, top off the conversation with with a huge congratulations to you oh, on your thanks. recent engagement. <laughs> so fun! So fun! <laughs> so uh, fun! Yes. Uh, what was the last show you binge watched? Oh gosh, um, it was between The Handmaid's Tale and Ozark. Okay. Okay. And uh, I'm so you- excited for it to come back too. Like I just I can't wait for it to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. Do you prefer the driving range or playing nine? Playing nine. Yeah. Sure. And what is something that you've done in the last year during this pandemic that maybe you weren't expecting to do? Um, well, it wasn't during the pandemic, but okay. right before the pandemic, um, I visited my brother in Australia, who I have not seen in over a decade. So wow. I did not expect it. Uh, my mom and I had been kind of planning it. You know, we lost my father a few years ago, and we've just always wanted to I guess reconnect, if you will. And we just kind of decided one day that we're just going to do it. So we, we did it. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. It was was definitely a trip of a lifetime for sure. Yeah. And I'm glad you got it in before we all stop traveling. Oh gosh. (laughs) Yes. yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you don't mind sharing, I would love to just start with what was your journey to playing golf? Yeah. Uh, I get this question a lot. So I, I I never mind sharing it as, Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like I'm so repetitive when I do say this, but as cliche as it sounds, it 100% was, was my father. My father was a total golf nut, um, you know, typical just golfing every day after work. I mean, that was just his respite. That was his go-to. Um, my brother and I are 11 years apart. So I was a little bit of an oopsie, to, you know, to put it nicely. And I know my father used to tell me stories that he used to try with my brother. Um, and it just never stuck. Like he just was, had no interest in it. Um, my brother is definitely more of the intellectual <laughs> of the family yeah. or of the two of us. And I always make fun of my dad in the saying, I was like, I bet when I was born, you were just like, you know what? Screw it. I'll try it with the girl. Yeah. Um, and it stuck. It totally stuck. It has, it was um, our bonding. It was, you know, what we bonded over. He was my one and only teacher, my caddy, my biggest cheerleader. Um, so, so really it was, it was all him. And I was very fortunate to grow up in Puerto Rico at Dorado Beach. Um, they had a really great junior program there. And I just, I mean, honestly, I just immersed myself in it and found a true love of the sport that I don't think my father or I really expected. And it's, it's been a part of my life ever since I can remember. 
I love it. Um, I am curious about your time playing in Puerto Rico and just your childhood there. But um, I did a lot of Googling about you and there's so much out there, which is wonderful. Um, but I thought it was so cool that the every girl girl featured you. And um, at one point, you know, you mentioned there is more competition in the U.S. for, for junior golfers and there's more opportunities to be recognized by collegiate coaches so that you can be recruited to play. Um, do you mind just talking about like that difference and what golf is like in Puerto Rico versus in the United States, especially if you're trying to, you know, play a little bit more competitively. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll qualify that with times have definitely changed. Mm, sure. From what I remember from my time in, in Puerto Rico playing sort of the junior golf circuit is that there's, you know, in the United States, there's several circuits, if you will. Um, there's some prominent ones, but in, in Puerto Rico, from when I, from what I remember, there was really just kind of one, kind of one route you go down, kind of one golf association you go down, um, and I believe that still might be true. But it just, we just always sort of knew that the competition really rested in the United States because I used to go to golf camp even when I lived in Puerto Rico. I would go to golf camp at the University of Georgia. Okay. And um, I, there was just a level of competition that I definitely saw more with those players than I did when I would go back home. Um, but since then, and, and, I, and, I, and please fact check me on this, but I do know that the American Junior Golf Association now has a golf tournament down do. in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the association or the, the golf association has definitely, from what I've seen and followed, has definitely um, in, been enhanced. There was always a junior presence, and I never mm. want to make it sound like there wasn't, but I just felt like there was a level up, if you will, um, to the competition that I saw when I came to the United States. Sure. But I, I think that it'll continue to evolve. It'll continue to change. Do I think it's ever going to be what the U.S. circuits have with, you know, all of the American junior golf tournaments across the, uh, across the nation? Probably not. But mm -hmm. it definitely is spurring some really fantastic young players um, that, you know, I've, I've kind of started to follow and started to notice that they're enhancing their programs. When did you move to the United States? Uh, good question. Uh, oh, my goodness. Why can I not think of when? I think it was about 12 years old. I moved okay. permanently to the United States. We okay. went back and forth for a little bit there. Um, but when I was starting to become of age to, to get scouted for these, you know, four colleges, yeah. um, between the, the colleges that I was interested in that were mostly in the United States, you know, my parents kind of made the decision that it's just best to, to move permanently to the, to the U.S. And did you play golf at UGA? So I started off actually at Penn State University. Oh, nice. Um, I'm aging myself a little bit, but they were one of the first four universities that had a professional golf management program. Oh. And they were at the time recruiting for more women to get involved because they obviously wanted to introduce the, not only the sport, but the business of golf to yeah. more females. Um, so I started, started down that route actually with Penn State and played on their golf team. Unfortunately, my father was ill at the time, and um, as much of a, of a badass as I, I claim to be being so far away from home, because we live in Atlanta at that point, I, you know, I, I, I was homesick. <laughs> yeah. And I, I thought it best, given my father's health, that um, I come back home. So I did ultimately transfer to Georgia. I only played a season there. Um, okay. The rest was just focused on my academics, and I played a lot of amateur golf qualifying for USGA, you know, women's AMs and amateur public links at the time. So that, 
that, that was a really actually good time when I moved back to focus on my academics and sort of my amateur golf, if you will. Yeah. And Georgia has such a great, you know, journalism, communications, yes. PR school. So, yes. and that and was that, the route that's I what took. you studied. Okay. Yeah, I was that's say, what I that was the route I took. It, yeah. it was, it, I, I still loved my time at Penn State. And part of me, I, I, I keep in contact with who was at the assistant coach at the time. And he always still claims he was like, you're a Nittany Lion still first and foremost. I know Aww. you claim to be a Georgia Bulldog, but so I definitely loved my time at Penn State. Um, but it was a good move for me, just being closer to my family and the route that I wanted to take, which was down uh, journalism and PR. Um, their Grady School of, of Communications is just outstanding. Top notch, yeah. yeah. Um, did you always then have it like lingering in the back of your mind that you were going to try to play competitively as, for, as a professional? It was always... I would say on my mind. Okay. I don't know if it was always top of mind. Um, yeah. And I say that because I, I think that I am a very humble person. <laughs> and I think my, like I said, my father was always my biggest cheerleader. Yeah. I, I think I never realized my talent, to be really honest with you. So I never nurtured it enough where I should have played professionally. I think I did have the talent to play professionally. Um, but I also believe all things work out for a reason. Um, yeah. I did try. It's not as though I didn't try. Um, I, I, you know, played a, a, a few, I guess, mini tour events. I was even on the big mm. break way back when. Right. And I just, when it never really clicked for me, I, sometimes I just thought the universe was telling me something. And I vividly remember my telling myself that if I didn't play professionally, though, that I was going to be involved in the sport in some way, shape or form, make a mm -hmm. career out of it, you know, kind of on the back end, if you will. So yeah. listen, I always knew golf was going to be a part of my life in some way, shape or form, even if I didn't play professionally. Okay, nice. And and I did notice, you know, you seem to have come full circle with the PGA of America. I'm, yeah. um, you know, working for them and, on the championship and then returning for the PGA Works programming. Do you mind just sharing that that career arc that you had and how you kind of came back? Yeah, it's, um, I have to attribute some of that to a, a mentor of mine. His name is mm. Ernie Ellison. And he has just always followed my golf career, even when I was playing golf. And I was working at the time for the first tee of Eastlake, um, now okay. the first tee of Metro Atlanta. And I was actually nurturing their, their golf program. Um, I'm sorry, their girls golf program. And the 2011 championship, PJ championship was coming into town. And Ernie has, has always known that I've wanted to work for the PJ of America. And I think he just, he just really reached out and said, listen, I know the champ director, great guy. Um, would you be interested in working on championships? And I was like, why not? <laughs> and I met with the team there, the on-site team there. And I feel like the rest is history because I ultimately mm. followed that same team to the 2013 PJ Championship in okay. Rochester, New York at Oak Hill. And um, I just feel I, the rest is really history. Um, I did stay in Rochester after that team left. Mm. I met a boy, you know, boys always just ruin everything, don't they? Um, not really. Uh, I met my now husband there and um, I decided to take a little mini hiatus, if you will, from the association. Um, but he's a head professional and he's always been so supportive of my dream to continue my career in, you know, in golf. Okay. We moved to, uh, to now the Berkshires where yeah. I was continuing my pursuit to be back at the PJ of America. And lo and behold, the same champ director, 
that I worked for for the 11 and 13 championships had had moved to work and to oversee the foundation, the PGA Foundation, now PGA Beach, called me up and said, we have an inclusion program. I think you'd be perfect to to really run and spearhead it. And I was like, sign me up. (laughs) Like, when and where do I sign? And definitely the rest is history. And I will say it's, it's, everything happens for a reason. And it's been really a calling for me um, to work on that side of the business. I loved championships. I think it's super glamorous, super fun, Sure. but this is a definite calling for me in, you know, really being reflective of the headwinds I faced as a woman of color in the industry um, to sort of make additional opportunities um, for other women of color, uh, other youth of color, other you know, people from diverse backgrounds to, to really engage in our sport. So again, I truly believe that all things happen for a reason and, and here I am. Yeah, I, and I used to work at um, Imperial and we would support you know, the PGA. So PGA Reach, if you don't mind just sharing, like what, what is the difference between the, the pillars and, and just sharing with people, where does PGA Works fit within PGA Reach? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So PGA Reach is the 501c3 of the PGA of America. So it okay. is the philanthropic arm of the association. Got it. Um, and under the, that foundation, if you will, there are three existing pillars. There okay. is um, youth, military, and inclusion. Our military um, pillar is our PJ Hope program, which is kind of, you know kind of a rehabilitative program for our mm. veterans, and they use golf as uh, kind of a modality to to help veterans kind of cope with civilian life, kind of cope yeah. with some you know just some stuff that they're dealing with. Um, our youth pillar is PJ Junior League. Um, really, it, it, that is such a unique program that I have I just instantly fell in love with because yeah. of the concept yeah. of the team. Like yeah. I love the team concept. We know golf. I mean, you know golf. We know golf. It's very focused on being an individual sport. Right. But I love that they kind of put it on its head a little bit and made a team out of it with jerseys. And I, the kids just get so, so into it. Yeah. Um, and then our inclusion pillar is our PJ Works platform. Um, PJ Works actually has been the newest, I'll, I'll call it the newest oh. kid in town, if you will. Okay. Uh, we've been around technically since I started back in 2017. It started as a singular program, which is our PJ Works Fellowships, but has now really evolved into an entire platform inclusive of the fellowships. We have scholarships, um, a collegiate championship, and career exploration events, all with the purpose of inspiring and engaging diverse talent to enter into our workforce. It's not necessarily that you have to be in the sport to play it, but we want you making key decisions, you know, mm-hmm. working for the finalists of the world, maybe the next president of the, or maybe the next CEO of the PJ of America can be part of that talent pool. Right. Um, but we have to, we have to fill that pipeline with diverse talent. And this is um, one of those ways to do that. That's amazing. And so are there, is there like educational programming? You help people get internships? It is. I would say, um, like I said, the flagship, if you will, and I, I hate even saying that because all of the all of the programs are so impactful, but we did really start with the fellowships for a reason. I, you know, it, it does create that platform and it is, um, you know, it's a little bit of semantics. It is an internship, but not really. Um, it is a full-time one year paid opportunity Mm -hmm. that uh, the uh, foundation does fund at one of our section offices across the U S and they get like a full immersion into what the golf industry looks like. They, you know, there's a focus on foundational activities, but they can touch anything within that sphere, within that scope from marketing communications, tournament operations, junior golf, 
again, just to open the eyes to the possibilities that golf can offer. It debunks the myth of what people know about golf, uh, working it in the sense of people think you either play it or you teach it. Like, that's it. Like that, right. that, that's it. <laughs> so this really intentionally debunks that myth to open their eyes to the different um, pathways and opportunities that exist within our industry. And sure. quite frankly, Abby, I mean, we have non-golfers that have been part of our, our fellowship of program and have wanted to do nothing but golf after their fellowship. Like they really yeah. want to make that a career now. So it, it goes to show you it works. It definitely does work. Um, but the, within that within the sphere of the fellowships um, and even our PJ Work scholarships, which are just have a little clarity to the scholarships, those are awarded to um, uh, young men and women from diverse backgrounds seeking uh, to, uh, oh my gosh, speak, I can't speak English today. Um, seeking to uh, PGA membership through one of our 18 uh, PGA mm. universities. Got so it. we like to help fund that, um, sort of that pathway through our university route to PGA membership. So throughout the development of that journey with our scholars, our fellows, we have professional development programming. It's all virtual, even pre-COVID, it's virtual. Mm. Kind of introduce virtual networking, um, introducing the key stakeholders, um, key industry professionals within our industry um, that maybe they never would have had access to. So we wanna intentionally, you'll hear me say that a lot, um, intentionally create those opportunities for our PJ Works participants. And I think that's so smart in the fact that, like, you know, I think most people think when they think of PJ of America, they think instruction. They think they're local PJ professional, and that's what you guys must oversee. But it sounds like, if I'm understanding correctly, you know, you guys are also trying to fill the funnel for any type of role in, in golf, not just to be an instructor, to, to be leaders in the golf industry as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, the PGA of America does serve our 29,000 members, our PGA mm -hmm. professionals, but we also sure. are here to grow the game. Um, and that can take on, you know, kind of different hats and wear different hats. And PGA works with inspiring and engaging that diverse talent is one of those ways to still enter our workforce and enter our industry um, in some capacity. So, uh, you know, absolutely. It, it, it still debunks the myth that you only teach it or play it. But we obviously are an association serving our 29,000 PGA professionals. Yeah. And where would you like to see the program go? Um, well, right now we want to scale it. I mean, I know that sounds simplistic, but we have 41 sections across the United States and we want a fellow in perpetuity at those 41 section offices. Sure. So yeah. right now we do have a, a pretty robust campaign and capital funding campaign going um, to help make that happen. We have the full support of our leadership um, to make that happen. So the, those are the things that I'm so proud to say out loud also to you know, yes, we are in a homogenous industry. Yes, we understand mm -hmm. that we need to do better. Um, yes, I understand that we've got a long way to go, but we are getting there. We are, and we do have the buy-in of our senior leaders to really make an impact. This isn't just a program. This is something that will be impactful and have meaningful impact and sustainable impact. Um, but we couldn't do it also without the support of, of the association and our leaders to truly make that happen. 
Sure, sure. I think it's a really remarkable program. I'm excited to see where it goes. Thank yeah, you. me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I do want to get back to talking about you okay. <laughs> um, and not just your role, but um, you know, I, I love that you had said my impact on the industry was best served working rather than playing the game. Do you still feel that way? And, and, and why, do you, why did you feel that way? I do. I still definitely feel that way. It goes back to a, where I, I say everything happens for a reason. Um, especially during this time, I've been mm-hmm. super reflective of my own experiences. I have no problem admitting that when I lived in Puerto Rico, I was a little bit of a bubble. You know, I kind of sure. lived in my bubble. Um, many people looked like me around me. You know, I spoke Spanish. I really didn't know sometimes I was an other, if you will. I was different until I moved to the United States. But I, I've been a little bit more reflective in that as of late, um, sort of given the racial tensions that, that are existing right now in our country. Mm-hmm. And it further leads me to believe that what I'm doing, um, experiencing what I've experienced has way more impact, at least from Rachel Melendez maybe's point of view, to make an impact. I think that when you have the Shasta Every Hearts of the World and Cheyenne Woods of the World, Mariah Stackhouse of the World, Sedina Parks of the World, they are making an impact playing because that's 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 their role. Like they they have the showmanship, they have the platform to make an impact that yeah. way. I don't think that was my route and I don't think that was sort of my my lot in life, if you will. But that doesn't mean that then from my from my point of view, I don't collaborate with those young with those young women to help enhance sort of the message and the impact so I just I guess that's where I feel my impact is best served or my role is best served is working the industry to create those relationships create these pathways create these opportunities um, that I don't I don't think I would have been able to successfully do if I was just solely playing the game uh, professionally sure and you know I think what you know when we all say like you can't if you can't see it, you can't be it. And those women yeah. are doing that for professional golf, but you're doing that too by, by being a leader at the PGA of America. You know, there are young women of color who can look up to you and say, wow, like she is leading some, yeah. a, a massive part of the PGA of America. And they can look to that and they can say, I can be that someday. So I think like, it's just different. It's just different in what you do. (laughs) Exactly. It's totally different. I think both absolutely make an impact. And to your point, you know, they're they're making an impact in a different way, but kind of there's some cross-pollination, if you will. Sure. Um, because there, there's still a level of awareness that both of our roles really, um, that really bring. And I, I'm so proud to be able to collaborate with those young women to help enhance that awareness to other, um, particularly women of color who, and young, you know, young youth of color who are looking to engage in our sport in some capacity. Because mm-hmm. listen, not everyone is going to be a Cheyenne Woods and, right. you know, not, not everyone is going to go down that route, but I don't want to lose their love of the sport. Right. And let's, let, let's introduce them now to what I do um, and, and, and kind of go down the, the workforce route, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much education I think that needs to be done for, for people to realize you don't have to like, I mean, we've just said it so many times, but yes, there's so much that needs to be done in that, in that sphere. And I, you know, for me, like I stumbled upon it. I didn't know that I could work in golf, um, even though I played it leisurely. So, um, 
yes, there's there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm glad you guys are on the right direction. <laughs> oh, right. We're, 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 we're on the journey. We're on right, the journey. you're fighting the fight. Um, <laughs> but what would you say then are some of the best ways to invite more diverse backgrounds into the game, even if it's just playing um, yeah. to begin with? Well, you've heard me say it. Uh, my buzzword is always intention. There's there's a level of intentionality that has to be done. Mm-hmm. It is not something that if you build it, they will come sort of ideology. Sure. Um, going into our historically black colleges or my our minority serving institutions is crucial to mm. just to just bringing the awareness. And it's such a buzz phrase, but in this particular case, it's it's critical. It, there is a bringing an awareness component that is absolutely necessary and critical to start then this this process this path you can't just post the the pj works fellowship and just expect people to just apply Um, especially those from diverse backgrounds there's been still a little bit of a i'll call it distrust of the game just because of where we used to be so there's an automatic a little bit of a well it's not you know it's not for me. It's golf. It's, it's not for me. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, we partnered with a, a company called Jopwell and they did an incredible market uh, research and what was so eye opening and it's, it's really altered that intentionality that I, that I just spoke to is they pulled um, uh, diverse candidates or, you know, uh, youth from diverse backgrounds kind of at that age of entering the workforce. And some of the questions were about what their thoughts of golf were, um, what their thoughts about working in golf were. And the consensus was that they all, a high percentage thought that golf was, was cool, like it would be a cool job to be in. But then yeah. the other percentage was, very low percentage was, I, they didn't know, they don't pursue it because they don't know how to, like they, they still have this distrust. They don't know how to get involved. So it's not something that's on their radar screen. So the fact that we saw such a high percentage of these, um, uh, of, of these candidates say that golf is still an attractive industry to them really does alter how then we, we kind of go to market, if you will. And it alters our intentionality or actually kind of hyper-focused our intentionality in um, targeting these diverse youth that there is a place for you this you know that we do have these opportunities if you love stem you know who do you think's making the resin and the golf balls like those are stem backgrounds if if you love broadcast you know look at what you can do you know uh, from a television side i mean there's but until i'm saying it and educating them then the aha moment kind of kind of clicks a little bit and they're like oh I could do this. And right. that's, that's where I totally thrive. I just, I, I, I love it. I, I love having those aha moments with, um, with students that otherwise may not have thought golf was for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I know there's just like, so it, it does feel like such a, clo- it does feel like a closed off industry. Like you have to kind of like get your foot in the door in the first place. So I can't imagine how much harder it then is for somebody who truly has no, con- maybe no connection to golf, but is, is interested and wants to be yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I I do love sort of the design of this fellowship. I think that it breaks down a little bit of those walls and creates this access point. I mean, a true access point to the industry and opens their eyes. And, you know, where I see a lot of value, I know I'm a little biased, obviously, but where I see a lot of value add with the fellowship too is yes, it's a year long, um, but we are like completely walking the walk with them. And even though a year comes and goes, we still help with their professional development um, and helping them get full-time jobs. We have a great relationship with our PJ Career Services. Like, like 
where they will help in that, in that, um, that career journey of theirs and into looking for full-time employment. So there's, there is a absolute, um, walking of the journey with them, even after their fellowship ends, because listen, our, our goal is to fill the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So even after the year term, we're not to doing our them. job, we're not <laughs> cultivating that relationship with them. So that's, that's where I see a lot of value add into the fellowships as well. Nice. Do you still play golf yourself? <laughs> I do. Uh, probably not as often as I should and not as often as my husband would like me to. But um, I think there's a lot to be said. Sometimes when you work in golf, you don't really play a lot of golf. Right. Yeah. But uh, the same intentionality that I do in my work, sometimes I got to do for myself too. And I got to make time to, to go to my husband's course and, and play a quick nine um, just, just, to, just to keep the rust off. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I was curious. Do you, um, have you like met anyone along the way or have had any experiences with like friends who are interested in playing golf now? Yeah. And yeah. you know, I go back to a little bit, I mean, maybe it's a little dramatic, but, um, <laughs> while it's super relevant to what I do every day with my work, if you can see it, you can be it. Sometimes I feel like my friends see that with me. They're like, Oh, she can do it. I, I know I can do it. Like I know. I can do it. <laughs> um, so I'm always kind of the resident golf girl friend. Um, yep. definitely play golf with some of my friends, start to teach them some golf. I've introduced definitely my friends to golf that I don't think they otherwise would have had Right. any interest or, or just, you know, just, it just wouldn't have been top of mind. So it, it's, it's funny. I, I do enjoy golf more now, um, which is Good. something I'm so thankful for. And yeah. I think that's another reason why I'm making a, a more of an impact with what I do now. Yeah. Um, I don't think when I played competitively, like, like I, like I loved, I loved it or I was, I was falling out of love with golf. And I think mm-hmm. that was the moment for me that, I, I never want to fall out of love with this game that's been part of my life for so long. Um, and after I stopped competing, my love of the game definitely kind of skyrocketed again. So it was definitely a poignant moment, an epiphany for me, if you will, that that's playing competitively was not for me. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, well, when you are teaching your friends or, or just like <laughs> encouraging them to play, um, you know, the last question I ask every woman who I bring on the podcast is what advice or suggestions do you have for, for women who are looking to try the game? Just try it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds so simple, but just try it. There are so many, um, uh, whether it's at your private facility or a municipal golf course, there are so many programs and leagues for women of all skill levels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have access to PJ professionals, of course, that 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 can teach you. But it's it's you just have to try it, though. Um, where, where I've just found a lot of the women that I have associated myself, um, even at even at my husband's club, that they they generally enjoy golf when they have when they play with their friends or in the league. They may not play very well, and they may just be socializing, but that's okay. They're still out there. They're still truly enjoying the sport and enjoying what golf has to offer. But I just can't stress enough to just give it a go. It's not for you. It's not for you, but just give it a go. (laughs) Yes, yes. Definitely give it a shot and give golf a chance for sure. I'm Um, pretty sure they're going to be hit with the golf bug, though. I agree. High probability. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Rachel. It was such a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yes. And uh, I'll let you know if we bring four of the ladies to the Berkshires. (laughs) Yes, please come, come on through. It's beautiful right now with the the fall leaves going. It's, it's like something out of a postcard. 
Oh, love it. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For the Ladies, visit us at ForTheLadies.net and on Instagram at ForTheLadies. That's F-O-R-E. 